I want to speak to you about the power of influence. And our text today is Numbers chapter 13. In most sports, there is a principle that determines success. You must keep your eye, excuse me, my goodness, you must, uh, it is a little polony out there, isn't it? Just a little bit. My drive, normally the cars are yellow, my driveway was yellow today as we were coming out. So I'm just going to clear my throat and you just worry about it. You have to keep your, your eyes on the target. If you fail to see the ball hit the bat, you're less likely to hit the ball. And certainly you won't hit it well. Yesterday in a game against Hoover High School from the Birmingham area, Hoover is a huge uh, high school. They played other teams in town, and they 10-run ruled every other team in town, but NFC <clears throat> beat them yesterday. Hoover High School has 3,000 students. We have a few less than that. And uh, <clears throat> they were beaten by NFC. In that game, uh, Major Posey <clears throat> hit a home run. Now, <clears throat> <clears throat> when Major Posey hit the ball, I am certain, and I, I can't swing. I am left-handed, but I, I bat right-handed. Major's right-handed, but he bats left-handed. I'm going to just pretend like this. When, when <clears throat> Major hit the ball, when the bat hit the ball, Major wasn't like this. Major wasn't like this. That's not the way you hit it, is it, Major? You, when you hit the ball, you end up like this because you're going to see that ball <clears throat> hit the bat. <clears throat> That's just a principle of sports. That's just the way <clears throat> that it works. That's the way that it always works. A, um, a receiver or a guy that's catching a kickoff or a punt, uh, the punt returner, <clears throat> if they start running before they see the ball into their hands, they're going to drop the ball. You, you sometimes wonder why those people that play those sports drop the ball. A lot of times it's because they try to run before they catch the ball. So it is in, in kicking a football or, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> or whatever else it may be. Yeah, thanks. You just kind of be the dump button up there, okay? <clears throat> whatever else it may be. No golfer has ever looked up and saw a good shot. No golfer. When you hit the golf ball, you, you have to, and I'm telling you this in theory, not that I actually do it, uh, <clears throat> but when you come back and you come through, when you hit the ball, this should be how you look. You should be looking right at the ball. Here's what most people do when they play golf. They come back and they go like this. And, and no golfer has ever looked up and saw a good shot <clears throat> because you can't do it that way. Typically, the ball will go where you're looking. And when you look up, you have a tendency to look off this way, <clears throat> and that's the direction that the ball goes. What is so amazing about this is how easy it is to have someone influence our outlook or influence <clears throat> what we see. That's why if you go to a baseball game, sometimes you'll hear uh, people uh, are in the other dugout, the team in the other dugout go, hey, swing! <clears throat> and, and they do that to see if they can get that person off their game. And, and <clears throat> it doesn't take much to cause somebody to miss the ball. The, the power of influence is, is unbelievable in how it affects our outlook. 
All of us have heard about <clears throat> the experiment of where, you know, 10 friends say, hey, look, we're going to go by and see Bill today at the office, and we're going to tell him, we're going to ask him if he's feeling okay. <clears throat> now, Bill came in just as chipper as he could be. But by the end of the day, Bill maybe goes home early because everybody has made him sick by their comments. <clears throat> you don't look well today. What's going on with you? The, the power of our words should never be underestimated. Here's what Proverbs says. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings <clears throat> of silver. Now, all of that is background to what we're going to speak of today regarding the children of Israel who wandered in the wilderness, wilderness <clears throat> for 40 years. There is a reason <clears throat> that they wandered in the wilderness. There is a reason <clears throat> that they did not go on into the land of promise, but wandered in the wilderness. I'm going to tell you the reason today. They, <clears throat> they were on the threshold of the promise. They were at the very gates of the promised land. They could have <clears throat> been so close, yet they were so far away. How could they have gotten <clears throat> so close to the land of promise, yet miss it by 40 years? I'm going to tell you, very simple. The power of influence. The power of negative words. Purely, 100% <clears throat> negative words. Th those negative words influenced them. They influenced the outlook of the Jews, <clears throat> who in turn saw their journey drastically altered. Someone <clears throat> said something to someone else, who said something to someone else, and they were all negative, and it resulted in a generation of people <clears throat> wandering in the wilderness. This morning, I want to speak to you about the power of our influence, the power of your influence, and how <clears throat> you use it. Now, this will work on your job. <clears throat> this will work uh, in the church. This will work in your home. The power of influence can never be underestimated. Numbers 13 and verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. For each tribe of their father, <clears throat> fathers, you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. Now skip down to verse 17. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up <clears throat> into Negev and go up into the hill country <clears throat> and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and <clears throat> whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not, be of good courage, and bring <clears throat> some fruit of the land. Now the time of the season of the first ripe, now this was the time of the season of the first ripe grapes. First of all, they had a very <clears throat> simple mission. It wasn't a hard task that they were given. They had a simple, simple task. Here's a bit of prose. <clears throat> this is from the 14th century. For want of a nail, <clears throat> the shoe was lost. For want of the shoe, the horse was lost. For want of a horse, <clears throat> the rider was lost. For want of a rider, <clears throat> the battle was lost. For want of a battle, the kingdom was lost. And all <clears throat> for the want of a horseshoe nail. It didn't take much <clears throat> to start the loss of the kingdom. It just took a nail missing <clears throat> from a horseshoe. 
The simplest of things can make or break the success of our mission in life. The mission given to the 12 representatives of the tribe of Israel was simple. If they get it right, they possess the land. If they don't, well, we know, they become miserably lost. Now here is their mission. I'll break it down for you. First of all, remember the promise. First part of their mission was to remember the promise. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, send me to spy out the land of Canaan. Now look at here. Which I am giving to the people of Israel. Now does does there look like there's any maybes in that? Now he said, which I am giving to the people of Israel. That's the key word. This is what they should have seen from the beginning. They shouldn't go in to say, I wonder if we'll get this. They should have known from the beginning that they were promised that they were going to get it. And they should have known from the beginning who made the promise. God made the promise. They had a chance to see firsthand. These spies had a chance to see firsthand how wonderful it was going to be to live in the land of Canaan. It was theirs. There was no doubt about it. Last week, as we preached the message on bold prayer, I used an illustration about my friend Bobby Welch, who is the former pastor of the First Baptist Church of Daytona. He was there for a long time, and he retired from being an active pastor. The church gave him a new Corvette. Now, don't get nervous. I know there's no Corvette in my future, but I'm just giving you this illustration. Even better, they arranged for him to go to the factory in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and to watch the car being made. He knew the car was his before he went there. He just went there to possess the car. He knew that it was going to be his car. He knew that he was going to get to have it. And so he went there. He knew what color it was going to be because he had decided the color. He knew what, uh, uh, what model of Corvette it was going to be because he had decided. He knew the car before he went. But when he went, He stood there and he walked through the line watching his Corvette being made. He knew that when it was time for that Corvette to be finished, and if you ever want to buy a new Corvette, you can do the same thing. He knew that when it was time for it to come out, that he would be the first one to drive it out of the Corvette factory. And that's exactly what he did. The promise had been made. All he needed to do was to claim the promise. He had to tour the factory and claim the promise. Now, can you see the relationship to the children of Israel going into the land of promise? All the children of Israel had to do was tour the land and claim the promise. God made a promise that all of them, all of them knew about, especially those 12 who were chosen. In fact, they were the recon unit. They were supposed to go in and bring back a report. In the military, there's three types of reconnaissance patrols or recon units. 
area, zone, or route. A reconnaissance patrol provides timely and accurate information on the enemy <clears throat> and on <clears throat> the terrain. <clears throat> they, they bring back to the leader the information to confirm the plans that <clears throat> the leader has for taking that area. The commander must inform the leader of the specific information requirements of each mission. Now, this recon unit had 12 people, 12, a member of the tribe of each of the tribes of Israel. And they were to go in and to recon, and then they were to do this. They were to report back. Now, here is where the problem came. When they reported back, they were not in unison on their report. That's the problem. They were not in unison. When it is your assignment to scout, investigate, carry through, or whatever it may be in any area of your life or ministry, you have to be fair when you report back. You cannot and should not color the report when you report back. Sometimes people are not fair. Sometimes people inject their own slant or prejudice in the report. Now let me pull over and say a word. I think Roger gave a good report today. When I told Roger, I said, now I'm preaching on the power of influence and a good report. You make sure you give a good report. And I think he did. He gave an honest report and he gave a a good report. But many people, in fact, I'm going to say this, most people don't give a good report. Now, why do people not give a good report or they fail to give an honest report? Well, there are a lot of reasons. Sometimes they, they give a report that's other than a good or an honest report, trying to avoid looking bad. They don't want to look bad. They don't want to be the deliverer of bad news. You know, there are a lot of things that go on in any organization because no one wants to tell the truth. No one wants to say anything about it. I've been the pastor here 25 years. I cannot tell you how many times something has gotten well beyond what it should have gone simply because somebody said, we just didn't want to tell you. And not not a good or a bad report, just, just failing to give an honest report. Look, sometimes... People try to look better by themselves, and sometimes they fail to give an honest report. They may fail to give an accurate report because they want the one to whom they're reporting to fail. Sometimes fear plays a role. They're afraid to give the report. There are a number of reasons, but for some reason, most of this recon patrol brought back bad news when actually there was good news. So they had a simple mission. They were to give a strategic report. When when you're given a strategic assignment, someone is trusting you with something that is vital, that is essential, that is very, very important. I think most assignments in life should be treated as strategic. I don't think there's really many, if any, assignments in life that shouldn't be treated as strategic. 
I <clears throat> have Susie Mazolik sitting down here. Susie is the best funeral director in Tallahassee. She may be the best funeral director in the state of Florida. She could be the best in the world, for all I know. She is an excellent, <clears throat> excellent funeral director. And I will tell you <clears throat> that one of the reasons that she is so good is because she considers everything strategic. You do, don't you? Everything, <clears throat> every <clears throat> single detail, strategic. There were four elements <clears throat> that caused this report to be so strategic. Each affected <clears throat> the outlook of everyone else the, and the crucial outcome, first of all. The potential <clears throat> that was in the report. And remember, this was the land of promise. All of the Jews had followed Moses out of Egypt in search of this land of promise. So they were <clears throat> eager for the report. Now here is part of the report that they, they got. <clears throat> Numbers 13, 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. And they brought back word to them, <clears throat> all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, we came to the land to which you sent us, and it flows <clears throat> with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Man, I like reports like that. I love those kinds of reports. Isn't that a good report? <clears throat> the potential. I love potential. I love possibilities. I love hope. One day, <clears throat> I was visiting with someone, and it may have been one of you. Actually, I've forgotten who it was, <clears throat> but it was someone in our church who had taken notes uh, from the messages over the years, and they had written down what they considered to be <clears throat> strategic uh, quotes and remarks that I had made. And they had written down the top 10 strategic uh, comments that they felt like I had made over the years. And here's one <clears throat> that they wrote down. I, it is not original with me, but I do remember saying it. They said, a man with vision looked at a huge rock and saw Mount Rushmore. I love, was that one of you in here? Uh, uh, I, I can't re remember who it was. They, they probably heard a bad quote and left. But uh, anyway, <clears throat> a man with vision looked at a huge rock. I, again, I don't think that's original, but I'm glad that I found it one time to say. There's so many great quotes on potential. Don't you want your children to know that they have great potential? Here's some, uh, here's some quotes that I think are phenomenal. What lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. That's awesome. You'll never know <clears throat> how, how much a horse will pull until you hook him up to a heavy load. If we did all of the things <clears throat> we were capable of doing, we would literally astound ourselves. There is a great deal of unmapped country within all of us. The report that should have been delivered <clears throat> was that of great potential. And they did deliver uh, the report of great potential. There was a lot of potential. But then came something <clears throat> that followed the potential of the report, and it was pure pessimism. Listen to what was said next. However, 
the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the uh, descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. They said, look at all of these beautiful, this beautiful fruit that we got there. This land flows with milk and honey. However, you need to know that you're probably going to die. Never drink the milk, never taste the honey. And the reason is because of everything that was the opposite. Have you ever shared time with a true pessimist? Have you ever spent spent some uninterrupted time with an honest-to-goodness pessimist? Years ago, I spent several days with a full-tilt pessimist. Uh, We were on the same trip to a foreign country, and we could not escape each other. We couldn't get away from each other. I sat on the airplane next to this guy, going and coming. In addition, I had every meal and every meeting in this guy's presence. Every, every idea had a cloud over it. And every cloud had a darker cloud inside of it. The service was never quite good enough. The food was never good enough. The conversation left me distressed, depressed, and considering dropping my personal ban on alcohol. I thought the only way that I can escape this is to tie one on. This is the only way that I'll get out of this. I got to tell you something. I hate negativism. I hate pessimism. And, And while... An optimist having to endure a pessimist can be laughable when matters are crucial to our life in Christ or the work of God and the hope of His promise. I believe that discouragement of that is sinful. God has promised the Israelites a land and now their scouts have been sent in to bring them back the necessary reconnaissance. Why? So they could possess the land. There's a report uh, were to report back. Uh, we saw the land. It's wonderful land. Here's how we're going to do it. That's not how they reported back. They said, we saw the land. It's beautiful land. It's wonderful land. We're never going to get there. We might as well forget it. It's not going to happen. It has milk and honey, <clears throat> but none of us are going to taste that milk or honey. Uh, there is too much opposition. Now, I don't get to assign what's sinful and what's not. I don't get to decide, all right, this is a sinful thing, and that's not a sinful thing. However, I do believe that there's enough Bible principle to show us that God's people should not be a naysaying negative people. I believe there's plenty in that. Look, remember Philippians 4.8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is uh, honorable, <clears throat> whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Tell me, how much better 
would your life be if this was the way that you approached everything in life? How much better would, would your work be if that's the way you approached uh, your work every day? How much better would your family be? How much better would your classroom be? How much better would this church be if we <clears throat> approached it that way every day? I, I'm going to say something. Someone listening to this sermon needs to make a life-changing decision today and move from the I can't to the I can through Christ life and encourage others to come with you instead of holding others back to all that God can do through their lives. And what is true of our lives is true of this church. Amen? We should have a confidence in the plan of God and the will of God in this church. We should have a confidence that God can and God will take this church to the land of promise. The the problem was that they were held back. The joy is, the saving grace is that at least there was one person who was positive. Caleb. Caleb quieted the people. I don't know how he got the people quiet. It's hard to get people quiet. I've been to a lot of meetings where I was in charge of the meeting. Okay, let's get, let's get started. All right, everybody. All right, let's get started. It's the hardest thing in the world to get people quiet. You know what I do? I always do this. I'll do it anywhere I am. I'll say, let's pray. And they say, they're praying. They're going to pray. They're going to pray. Then I don't pray. I just talk to them because I, I want them to just be quiet. <clears throat> I don't know how he was able to get them quiet. But you know what he said? Three key words. We are able. Look at verse 30. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it. <clears throat> let's not wait. Let's not talk about it. Let's not delay. Let's not, uh, let's not commit it to death. We are able, so let's go up and occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. When others said, we are not able, Caleb said, we are able. Now, could I just, I don't, I don't use the word divide in church because I think that's a bad word, but could I just allow you to categorize yourselves? Where are you? Are you in the we are not able or the we are able crowd? Where are you? You're in one or the other. The other is I don't care, but that might as well be uh, we are not able. Every one of you in, in, in your lives and everyone who is a leader, whether you're a Sunday school leader, whether you're a, a ministry leader, whatever you are, uh, whether you're a deacon, whatever you are, everyone should take a page from Caleb. He didn't care if everyone else was afraid. He knew what God had promised and what God could do. You missed an amen right there. Amen? The most inspiring stories of the Bible are the ones where people believed that God could do what he said he would do. Daniel believed that God could deliver him from the den of lions, and God did. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego believed <clears throat> that God could bring them out of the furnace of fire, and God did. Joshua believed that Jericho could be taken without ever firing a shot, and God <clears throat> made it happen. 
God told Gideon that he could defeat the Midianites with only 300 men. God said it, and God did it. God is able. So I don't know what we're going to do. Well, we are going to follow the leadership of God. Amen? If we're going to be positive about anything in life, it must be about the things that God can do. That God can do for us, in us, and through us. That being said, negativism, and you need to know this, negativism is persistent. It is absolutely persistent. It will not give up. Verse 31 of Numbers 13. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw Nephthalim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephthalim, and we seemed ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Let me tell you what's sad about this. This is a very sad thing. Pessimism won. That's what's sad. Enough fear is put into those who are positive to negate the the optimism about finding and doing God's will and uh, and winning the battle and and taking the land, and negativism won. God's Word says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But it can be like swimming upstream to practice that in our daily lives, especially when we are surrounded by people that tell us all the reasons that something cannot be done that God wants done. The world is going to be persistent. They will be. The the negative people and your own negative spirit is going to persist. But don't give into it and don't give up on it. Don't quit. Don't allow the negativism to stop you. Don't allow what others say to change who you are. And here's why. From the lips of Jesus himself in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Several years ago I preached a message about, um, and I, I I don't remember every message. I mean, I've preached thousands of messages here. And I preached a message on how to stop a gossip. And it was a whole message. We, evidently, we'd had some gossip or something. I don't know what it was. I, I'd like to tell you it was the Lord leading me, but probably I was just trying to fix something. And, and <clears throat> but uh, uh, but the, we, we were in this thing, and, and, and there was some gossip going on. And, and I said, uh, you know what? There's a way to stop gossip. And everybody got all attentive. How do you do that? You say, stop it. Don't talk to me about that. I don't want to hear it. That has nothing to do with me. You can say that to somebody else if you want to, but you cannot say that to me. Never will forget. Ed Whiting. Ed Whiting was a guy that worked for me in Nashville. There are a lot of things about Ed Whiting that did not necessarily exude leadership. But here's here's what Ed Whiting would say. I never will forget 
this. It was, it was brilliant. Somebody would come to him, and it always happens this way. Somebody would come to him about something else, and, and let's say it was about me. And they would say, listen, I want to talk to you about uh, something regarding uh, what we're doing here in the church. And he said, fine, that's not a problem. But he said, here's what you should know. Pastor Ray, before you get too far with this, Pastor Ray, you don't realize this, but he has four eyes and four ears. And two of his eyes and two of his ears are on my head. And just, they don't want to talk about that. You know, you can stop pessimism. Now, I'm going to talk to you in a minute about how that, that there were serious consequences, and in this case, pessimism won. But you know, you can stop it. You can say, I'm not sure that's an honest report. That sounds more like stopping the good work or hindering the good work. And what I want you to do is to not speak to me like that. John, you you know how that sometimes in the work environment you have a big responsibility. You know how that that negative virus can get started and just, just run? It can get started anywhere. And it can be stopped. But there has to be somebody that's willing to speak up and say, nope, stop. No more. No mas. I'm going to stop this. In this case, however, the negativism had serious consequences. The first few verses of chapter 14 show the ongoing problems and the root cause of God's exasperation with the Jews at this point in history. Now look. The Jews were at the threshold of the promised land. They're getting ready to walk in. There's been a scouting patrol sent in. And the, 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 they had seen the grapes that came. And they said, oh, my goodness, look how big those grapes are. That is just absolutely awesome. Then the guy said, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to scare you into thinking that we can never get it. And look what happened. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry. And the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? to fall by the sword. Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Uh, Wouldn't it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said one to another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Try to see this from God's perspective. He made specific and committed promises and they believed uh, that, that they believed until someone gave them a negative to embrace. How is, here's how the influence of, of these impacted them. First of all, they ignored all of the positives. And, and there's really only one positive that they need to embrace, and that is that God made the promise. That's the only positive they needed to embrace. But they, they ignored all of the positives. The land flowing with milk and honey. God had promised to give it to them and so on. Remember, God sent 12 of the men to tour the land, and the plan was to come back and to show us, okay, this is how we're going to go into the land. But instead, they brought back a negative report, and it's Stop the children of Israel in their place. Are, are, do we ignore, overlook the positive that God has set before us? God makes many promises in the Bible, more than 3,000. Some people say more than 3,500 promises. I want to give you just five. Let me just read you five, okay? Just five. But Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. 
Matthew 17, 20. He said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with a measure you use it, it will be measured back to you again. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. James chapter 4 and verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask. There's so many positives to embrace, so many powerful things to count on, so many promises from God to stand on, yet people often ignore them. They ignore the promises in favor of embracing the negatives. It's the rare person who, when his cup is running over, will not complain that he didn't have a bigger cup. Most people look at it that way. I wish I had a bigger cup. I could have caught more. Such were the children of Israel in these times. The cynics among the Israelites embraced the negatives, and they made sure to enlist the uncertain. The final blow to certain victory was to enlist those who were uncertain, those who were undecided. (laughs) I'm sure there were some, perhaps many, who sided with Caleb, but in the end, those who failed to believe the promise of God prevailed to the extent that God forbade Israel from going into the land of promise for the next 40 years. Think about that. Gee whiz. They were at the door. They were in walking distance of the land of promise. And because of the negative report, they went the other way and wandered around for 40 years. My goodness. So, what do we take away from this? What was this for? Well, any of us can be the problem, or we can be the solution, but no one can be both. No one can be. Um, You can have the promises of God ahead for you, but Unclaimed promises are useless. They have no benefit whatsoever. Now let me just bring it to an end by talking about our church. This, in, in, in two months, I will preach my last sermon to you on a Sunday morning. In two months. I literally have seven more Sunday mornings to preach. One of the Sundays will be Passion Play. There's eight more Sundays. One of the Sundays will be Passion Play. Literally in two months, I will no longer be your pastor. And I'm not privy to your conversations. I'm not privy to what you say to each other or anything like that. But I am certain that there are certain people that say, we don't know what we're going to do. We're just not sure what we're going to ha- how it's going to happen. What's going to, I mean, what's going to happen to our church? Let me give you a few things. First of all, here's what I want you to know about your church. Your church. Your church has a bright future ahead like few churches have. And let me tell you why. 
your church has a bright future ahead. It, you, look, you, you may want to focus on the negatives. And I'll, I'll grant you, and, I, and it, it has bothered me, I'll grant you that there are people that have bailed out since Pastor Ray announced that he was going to uh, retire in a year. There are people that have bailed, and it's aggravated the hound out of me. But I can't focus on that, and you can't either. And let me tell you why. Because God has a bright future ahead for you and for your church. First of all, you have a loving fellowship. You really do. Now, you don't know everybody in this church fellowship, but you have a loving fellowship with people that you know in this church. Last Sunday when we had David and Debbie Crow, and, and I'm not worrying about the clock. I know that we've got communion left, but I've got a positive. I, I think y'all are really listening to this, okay? So last Sunday when we had David and Debbie Crow to come down here, and I said, if you're comfortable, I want you to come and stand and, and, and put your hand out and pray for them. I wish you could have seen the love pour out of this the pews and come down here. And when we prayed for David and we finished praying for David, I looked up and here's what I saw. I saw a tear, one tear coming down the right cheek down the front of David Crow, who is battling cancer. I believe that David not only felt the prayers, but the love of this fellowship. There is a pastor who is going to come to a loving fellowship. To a group of people who love each other. And who care for each other. And you do. You care for one another's needs. Not only that, let me get... Let's get physical, physical. Let me tell you something physical. We have magnificent facilities. Not pretty good. Oh, well, that's a nice little building. We have magnificent facilities. A facility will not build a church, but we have magnificent facilities. Let me tell you this. You are debt-free. And have been for 20 years. We got debt free in 1997. And we have been for 20 years. When I walk out the door on Friday night graduation. I will walk out the door to God be the glory. Knowing that we as a church family do not owe anybody anything thing. You're debt free. Do you know how many churches you can go to that are debt free? Not very many. Oh, there's a few of the WIFO and we and no mo churches, but but uh, not very many. You're debt free. Let me tell you this, and and you should think about this. Think about this. Ah. You have hundreds of families who drive on this property every single day and bring their children to your school. You can do something with those children, with those families, and you should. 
They come onto this property every single day. You have a good name in this city. I don't think that anybody in this town says, you don't want to do business with them. You have a great name in this city. A very good name in this city. You know what else you have? You have money in the bank. What, what am I? I'm, I'm telling you that there are grapes with clusters long. <laughs> I'm telling you that you have a bright future ahead. You have a history of serving God and standing on His Word. This isn't a church that doesn't believe the Word of God where the, a Bible-believing pastor is going to have to come in and say, all right, now i got to fix what that liberal pastor talked about. I mean, this has been a church that has stood on and for the Word of God since its beginning in 1963. That's what this church is. The future is bright for your church. The future is bright for your ministry. You will have, you have influence, and, and you will influence this church. The question is, how will you influence this church? How will you influence the people? How will you influence in a positive and powerful way? Here's the outlook that I want to have for my life, and I do have for my life. And I have it for your church. It's Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This church is a body. It's a person. It's an individual. And this church can do all things through Christ, which strengthens her. I pray that you will be part of the powerful, powerful answer that God has for this church.